Hi friends, and welcome to the For Everyday Disciples podcast. Here we talk about what it means to intentionally disciple in the everyday, whether that is in your families, at your work, or in your community. We talk about all things related to relational discipleship and how we can all actively participate in the Great Commission. On today's episode, we will be sharing from the first chapter of Robert Coleman's foundational book on discipleship, The Master Plan of Evangelism, on how Jesus selected his disciples, and then, based on that, what we should look for when selecting others to intentionally disciple. Hi guys, it's Giles, and I'm here with uh, Zach. Hey, how are you doing this morning, Zach? I'm doing good. Pretty well, good. Uh, well, right. <laughs> Right. Uh, before we got on here, you were sharing a little bit about uh, you've been a little under the weather this week, huh? Yeah, just a little bit. Some congestion, you know, but it hasn't laid me out yet. So that's good. I think I've got a beat. Well, the bad part about that is, is that you sort of are the voice of this show. You have the nice voice. And now yeah, it right. sounds like uh, before you just got on here, you smoked like three packs of cigarettes or something. <laughs> I'm a dedicated smoker. <laughs> dedicated. He's not... It's not true, guys. He really, he really doesn't smoke. Just so you know, uh, we don't want we don't, for this week, right? We don't want to be, we don't want to be getting any kind of a flack for. Uh, man, I didn't know that guy was smoking like that. He's my pastor, you know. Like so, <laughs> so yeah, well, thanks for looking out for me. He's got, that. he's got, he's got, he's got, he's got several problems, guys. But that's not one of them. So yeah, I'm looking out for him. I'm making sure that he's not going to get any. Uh, nasty emails this week uh, from anybody that hears the podcast no so yeah well it was a pretty good week for me last couple of weeks um just ministry wise you know the discipleship groups are going really well and uh i'm just always excited to see how god works and transforms uh within these groups but that sort of leads me to you know what we're going to be talking about today is well what kind of people like so what kind of people did jesus select to be disciples. And even for us, you know, how are we uh, supposed to think about selecting people, you know, because that can be a very complicated thing about like, well, what kind of person should I pick out, you know, but where we're going to sort of take our um, marching orders from is Robert Coleman's Master Plan of Evangelism. And because it really just does a really good job, I think, of explaining how Jesus selected disciples, but then also uh, how we should think about um, selecting disciples. But I know we first need to start with a foundational scripture verse. So I'm going to let Zach sort of share what is our foundational verse for today uh, for what we're going to be talking about. So for today, we're going to look at Luke 6, uh, verses 12 through 16, which says, uh, One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Well, so he had a pretty good track record with most 11 out of 12. I guess if Jesus does 11 out of 12, even in our own disciple groups, uh, we can sometimes maybe <laughs> not have a hundred percent success right. rate and it's okay. We could, we'll, we'll, okay. we'll be all right. Right. It will be all right. Cause uh, you know, we can't control other people. And so Jesus the same way, but it sort of is interesting, right? Like, so he, he picks these 12, obviously there have been several other people following him, but then he like was very intentional about the 12 that he picked here. 
but then you think he's also the son of God, right? It's Jesus. So right. what what is what was really even the purpose for it? Because I mean, he could have been teaching, he could have been doing stuff, he could have been could have done all the miracles and everything else, and he didn't need to have honestly, you know, as we read through scripture, sort of this ragamuffin group of guys. Uh, but what 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 did uh what does Coleman really say about why did he why did he bother to select some individuals? Yeah, well, he points out, and this is going to seem very basic, but he points out that um, actually humanity is integral to kingdom building. Like mm-hmm. Jesus had to find humans to uh, for this method of discipleship that was going to not just fizzle out one day, but was going to actually take the whole world by storm. And I think it's interesting later, He there's a chapter on incarnation and... Um, so I think we'll get more into this then too, when we talk about how Jesus became a human on purpose to go find human disciples because human hearts are what is going to make up um, his kingdom and human community is also going to be ideal for long-term growth. So um, humans together, you know, that that's what's going to make the gospel um, take off because it's for people, right? The gospel is for human hearts. It's not for anything else. It's to reconcile human relationships to God. Well, and I love that, what you just said about community, right? Because it really, Jesus, you know, he wasn't about just developing a program or saying like, let me share a pamphlet with you about uh, how does this work? How does how does the kingdom come? How does the gospel work? Uh, what is discipleship about? He actually uh, selected some people to live life with him. And we're talking like for, you know, three years of that kind of intense uh, discipleship. And I'll quickly share that um, in the rabbinic culture, uh, the culture that they were in, um, if you were following a rabbi, it was like you were imitating every aspect of him. So it wasn't something you took lightly and said, oh, well, I'm following this guy. It's like, no, you were imitating every aspect of his life, which of course in disciple, being a disciple, that's pretty foundational. But we need to understand that culturally, these guys that he selected, they would have been following him in that way. So it wasn't just about developing some kind of program to reach the multitudes, but it was about developing those people that were actually following him. And, you know, as they were following Jesus, he was also teaching them how to lead others. So, I mean, I would say that that is a foundational uh, statement about discipleship in general is that if you make disciples, you actually are developing leaders, um, leaders of men, of course, followers of Jesus, but leaders of men, you're not developing just more followers of men and follower, you know, you're, so I think it's what kind of person was actually Jesus developing as he discipled others. And then he, he gathered these guys to himself before he actually even started the ministry. This was like Luke six, right? So right at the beginning of his ministry, he hasn't really done a lot at this point in his ministry. And he's gathering these 12 to follow him. Right. And um, it's interesting that the attitude that he was looking for, for potential leaders was not one of um, someone who's already established or someone who's already got a following, but he's looking for people who are learners who are interested in Mm. learning a different way, another way, the way of salvation. Um, and that's obvious in the people he chose, right? I mean, he didn't go to the elite. <laughs> he didn't go to, um, 
he didn't go to established leaders already. He went to the everyday people because they had something that um, that other people didn't have. They had they had something that Jesus really cares about, and that's a humble heart. Mm. That's uh, even though there are times when the disciples aren't that humble. <laughs> we read about that a lot, but overall, they are interested in humility. They're interested in learning from someone else. They're interested in having their own rabbi, not being the rabbi yet. Um, so I just think of, uh, Philippians two, where Paul has that hymn about Jesus's humility and how that is what his whole ministry is based on humbling himself, leaving heaven, not considering it any sort of, um, true sacrifice to come down and be a human and search for humans and give the gospel to humans. Um, and give his life ultimately for them, uh, the ultimate act of humility. Um, and a humble heart, I think Jesus would agree, is a teachable heart. And that's what he was desiring for his disciples. And when they became those leaders who then um, developed more leaders, that uh, posture, that heart posture would be, um, hopefully is supposed to be, um, given to the next the next generation, the next set of disciples, the next set of leaders. Um, so yeah, I think um, it's interesting that Jesus looked for the humble, lowly people first. That's who he went to for his disciples. Yeah, I mean, these guys certainly didn't have heirs about them, right? I mean, the majority of them were fishermen or worked in simple uh, trades. I mean, you did have Matthew, who was a tax collector. But in general, none of these guys was prominent, right? They weren't prominent in, they weren't wealthy, by any stretch of the imagination, they certainly weren't um, in the religious elite within the synagogues and stuff like that. And, you know, if you were thinking about Jesus looking for, say, I want to go look for the most equipped that know the most about scripture and know the most about who God is, then maybe I go to the synagogue. But you don't see Jesus do that at all, which is very interesting because I think sometimes about how we like to select people around us. Um, and I would say even in a, Typically, sometimes even in the church environment, right? We're looking for those people that we say, well, they're the most, they've been in like 65 Bible studies. And so this is an individual that I should select because they're mature. And it's not like they aren't mature. That's not the statement at all. But if they're not teachable, uh, it really doesn't help out. And if we look at all of scripture, uh, the lack of teachability, honestly, by the Pharisees and the Sadducees was one of Jesus's biggest uh, tension points was he was always trying to share with them these teachable moments and they constantly were rejecting that. But these these 12 guys, you know, they started off humbly with just the concept of follow me and they were just in that. And, th and <laughs> that alone just shows a humble heart, right? As you said about the humble heart, but then the way that they grew, even though they were impulsive and temperamental and emotional, um, they could easily be offended. Wait, that sounds a lot like <laughs> us as well, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but Jesus still chose them. It's because they were ordinary, right? They were ordinary like us. Um, and they were willing to follow when he called them and they were willing uh, to humble themselves, even though later on we see them sometimes struggle with uh, some of that humility, especially as they're seeing the power that uh, Jesus is uh, putting out uh, or, you know, the miracles and everything else that's happening as they're following him. But what else? I mean, weren't they, 
there was something else besides being humble though, wasn't it? I mean, they, they were humble, but I mean, there also was something else that was there something bothering them, I guess is my question that Jesus sort of appealed to. Yeah, I think um, they were so, uh, uh, I don't know, crushed, burdened, maybe burdens better, burdened by the, uh, the religiosity that was their everyday life. I mean, mm-hmm. right? Like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the all these um, religious leaders who come up against Jesus in the Gospels, they always are trying to say, okay, well, the law says this. How do you answer that? Or the law says do this. You didn't do this. What should be the punishment? Or, or all this stuff. And people were just weighed down by this um, this need to perform uh, in order to gain God's favor. And Jesus comes and he says, well, I think we need to consider things a little differently. Perhaps you haven't focused on what God was getting at in the law. Perhaps you don't understand exactly what's important. Uh, so these humble fishermen and and um, and and these these some outcasts and, and guys who were just the bottom of the barrel, um, they were also looking for. Um, I think he calls it the way of salvation in the book or, or on the video series, um, looking for the way of hope of relief, of life. And Jesus says, I come to give you life, right? I come to give you life and life more abundantly. And that's something for people who are so concerned about what God thinks about them and trying to please him. Um, that would be a breath of fresh air. Like, like someone comes and says, I can give you what you're looking for. I can give you this relationship with God. And it's not based on everything on keeping this law that you just can't keep. It's, it's based on a different way. Mm. You know, so I, I think about this concept. Um, I have, there's a pastor I really like um, that I like to listen to, and he's got sort of this phrase that he likes to say a lot, and I think it really applies to this. And he says, you know, people are looking not for someone who's always right to follow. They're looking for someone who's always real. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, obviously Jesus was right. I mean, right. right. <laughs> was no, was there was no fallibility within him. He was right. But in the day that he was right, it was the Pharisees. It was the religious leaders that sort of were holding out, like, this is what truth is, but they were very like hypocritical themselves. They weren't very real themselves. And these fishermen, they were these people that were desiring to, that Jesus called to follow him. They were, as you said, very in desire to be a part of something real. And they wanted to follow someone real that like lived out what they said and was intentional um, and walk that way. And so Jesus, as you said, must have been this fresh air. Not only the, there must have been such an appeal to that for them to like forsake, you know, to walk away from their livelihoods and everything else to pursue him. And I think we should, right? We should have that same kind of fresh air feel when we, when we're in God's word about like, man, this is very real. Like, right. It is right. Obviously, as you said, it is right, but it's also very real. And it's, Mm -hmm. and it's something that should be something that just makes our heart flutter to be knowing that we're part of that real thing that's going on. So if you were looking at what we just talked about, what would you say, Zach, is the big idea that we sort of have gleaned from this first part of what we've been talking about? Uh, yeah, I think, um, I think as you are looking for your group or looking for a group of disciples and, uh, you want to gauge the posture of, of, of the potential 
people you might be discipling? Uh, are they humble? Um, are they open to the way of Jesus? You know, are they teachable? Um, these things that the disciples didn't get perfectly, but still had that air. Whenever Jesus, I think it's interesting, whenever Jesus would challenge them, when he would challenge the Pharisees, they always wanted to kill him afterwards, right? <laughs> but when he would challenge his disciples, they didn't leave him. They didn't always get the answer right, and they didn't always like what they heard, but um, they stayed with Jesus because they were open um, to his challenge and his invitation. And uh, because they could see, like you said, it's real and it's right. It offered life in a way that this other way of honoring God or pleasing God, this religiosity just couldn't do. And um, and so their their humble attitudes and their teachable hearts, I mean, made them just perfect, perfect uh, gardens for the seeds of the gospel to be planted in. Man, I love how you said that, like perfect gardens, right? The, the right soil for the seeds to be planted in and that humble and teachable spirit. Um, so critical in the selection process, but you know, I'm going back to Luke, what we were talking about when we first started this conversation. Um, it said he selected 12, right? Well, I know that if I'm in Luke and I'm reading there, I'm realizing that there were a lot of other people at this time that were following Jesus. Um, so, uh, there was certainly more than 12, but it, there's this that statement too about that he says he prayed overnight and then he went down and picked those 12. What is significant? I, I mean, I guess what is significant about 12? Obviously, we can go into the uh, biblical uh, understanding and narrative of the Old Testament of the 12 tribes. We can we can we can draw out of that. But what else is right. significant about this uh, number 12 maybe that in regards to his selection process? Uh, I think I'm simply I think it's just it's a small number. I mean, compared to, we see multitudes and crowds so many times following Jesus. And then we notice as you follow his story that there are 12 and then even within the 12, right? Mm. You get this sense of there's a three that are maybe even closer, but this small number is a statement that Jesus is making that size um, is important in your discipleship group, but bigger isn't always better it's smaller that is better because of the ability to um, impact those around you. You can get to know people better. Um, the smaller the number, the, the the easier it is to get to know people and to be um, real, like you said earlier, real with them. I got a, I got a funny story about that. So um, one of the most awesome things that's happened in uh, the disciple making movement is what's taking place in Kenya. And my uh, friend Victor there and the way that he disciples and his passion for discipleship, you know, but when we first started, I had discipled him and it was one-on-one -on -one and it was intentional. And I knew that we were having going to have some cultural things and we were going to have to navigate through discipleship, but it was such an awesome experience for me. But then as soon as he starts thinking about discipleship, making disciples, he's from a culture of heavy community, uh, much more so than our Western culture out there in uh, Kenya. They have, they're much more about community than we are. And so he comes to me and he's like, I have like 25 names. And I'm like, what? Because I'm thinking about my own groups. Like I literally struggle if I have more than four people in my group, especially within the time frame, right? And I'm like 25. And so that was actually something I said to him. I said, well, look at Jesus had 12. Like you better start 
I mean, at the most, half of that. Like, you better not even be thinking more than half of that. Um, but it was funny just to have that. He wanted to start like with a bigger just because they're so community based. But he would have lost, as you said, a lot of that intimacy or the ability for uh, just the realness between that, that group of individual once he got to too large of a side. So that's really uh, interesting. Um, and sort of my statement on that is one cannot, well, this is not my statement. I want to actually say Robert Coleman's statement is one cannot transform a world except by transforming individuals who are in the world. Mm. Um, as followers of Jesus, this happens through a submissive personal relationship with Christ. So that also is in our groups, right? Or in, in whoever you're, as you're discipling, that's also going to be within your groups is there's going to have to be that's kind of intimate, um, everyone submitting to Christ, but also within the group, there's some submission to being a follower before you are a leader. Uh, so I think that really, that size though, can really impact that. If it gets too big, it can really become a problem to uh, be intimate uh, with everyone. Sure. Um, I think we, I, I think we like humanity, I think we understand that just in general, right? I mean, if you take big churches or mega churches or whatever, like they completely understand the need for small groups, right? That's what, that's what you hear about. Like right. small groups, it, we, you can't, um, you can't minister in intimate ways to everybody. The larger the group is, um, Jesus is out on boats, you know, he's far away from people. He's got to use water to, to, for the volume of his voice and everything. Like he can't be with the people the same way as he is with his, um, with his 12 and with his three. And so, um, yeah, I think it just, just makes sense that the smaller the group, the more, um, the more intimate you can be, the more possibilities there are for pouring into and being poured into. Um, but not that the crowds were a problem. Jesus never neglected them. Right. I mean, that's in Robert Coleman makes a point of, of pointing that out that, uh, that Jesus still, um, ministered to the crowds. Yeah, he, yeah, absolutely. He did. And, uh, um, but you know, we don't want to neglect anyone and right. with the intensity of, uh, intentional relational discipleship. And as we're going out and we're doing that with that kind of intensity of what, um, of where the spirit is working, of what's happening, it's creating a lot of like, it can create a lot of, uh, stress even in within an individual, um, as God is working within them and that pruning process is taking place that, that ability, right. That ability to have a smaller group that is going to listen well, that is going to be there with you in that journey and yet you don't get lost, um, in the numbers. And I think that's what, uh, Coleman is really pointing to. Um, and even Jesus though, right. Uh, as his fame grew, and there was more people following him. Uh, he, Jesus didn't hurt a little bit by sharing what was the cost of following him. And, and right. I mean, it, I just imagine that group of people that was falling behind, like, what the heck is he talking about? And then like, I don't know, I don't think I can do this. Um, I did love the response of the disciples though, of when they, when he did do that, they said, you know, he asked them, well, what about you? Right. Like, are you going to walk away like the rest of these people? And they're like, well, where would we go? Because they had already invested and already were so intimate and in that deep relationship with him that they didn't, yeah. they couldn't foresee any other kind of future than the one that they were walking in in that moment with him. So I just sort of my, and Zach knows I get a little bit worked up sometimes about 
some seeker stuff, but that, you know, sort of, could you imagine that kind of thinning process taking place in the modern uh, seeker friendly church mm. model? I, I just, <laughs> it's, it's like completely opposite, isn't it? It is. It, is. it certainly yeah, was not yeah. an attractional model. I mean, it was attractional yeah. in that it was truth, but it was not right. attractional to try to make things easy. That's for certain. Um, and uh, even though it was a, a, even though, as he says, you know, my, my, yoke is light, right? My burdens, the burdens for you, it's not so difficult. It is difficult um, to put yourself in a posture of submission and surrender and sacrifice uh, to the Lord because you're sacrificing aspects of maybe what you want, right? Uh, To be obedient to him. So yeah, I just can't, (laughs) I do want to hear it from, I do want to hear it from the pulpit sometime. (laughs) I just wonder who's going to stand. I have had a pastor say that though. I'm surprised people weren't standing up and walking out. And I'm usually like, well, good. I'm glad you said something true. That may actually make people leave. Um, not that I want people to leave, but um, I do want people to understand that uh, we teach a tool, right? Called invitation and challenge. I do want people to understand that even though there is this obvious invitation by Christ uh, to follow him, there is a challenge to it and you have to uh, be willing to, uh, as Paul says, persevere and understand that there is a challenge to it. It's not just, it's not just, uh, you know, this, well, I'm going to have Christ and then I'll have the rest of my, everything else. It's like, no, there's, right. he's, he's the whole. So, um, yeah. I mean, the, the easiest time for the disciples was when Jesus was walking with them for what, two and a half years. Then the rest of their time as disciples, the majority of their time was going to be the hardest it was ever going to be without him there. And we today don't even have him in the same way walking alongside of us. So yeah, it's not, it's not an easy thing. It's a, it's the, it's the real thing. It's the right thing. It's the thing that, that makes the most sense, but it's not easy. And we make it that way. We just want to make it easy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so and then it lessens it. So. so what's sort of the, you know, as we've been talking before I get too many other rants off, I want to make sure, and, and I call it rants, but it's just me verbally processing on a podcast, but I need to, right. <laughs> I want to make sure that we uh, uh, don't go. I, I don't think you want to listen to me for three hours. You may, uh, if you ever sat <laughs> with, don't. well, if you ever, as Zach can attest to, if you ever sit with me, you know, it's going to be three hours, but on the podcast, I'll try to honor the fact that you may be like going to work or something and you may not have three hours to listen to this. Uh, right. But so what's the big idea sort of about this, uh, the size of the group? Yeah, um, this is a quote uh, from the book. Um, the more concentrated the size of the group being taught, the greater the opportunity for effective instruction. Mm, okay. I want to, I do sort of, you know, this sort of brings up a question I have heard several times. Um, and mm-hmm. And I sort of want to clarify, and maybe Zach, you and I can sort of clarify this for people. One of the questions that I sometimes hear, especially when you talk about intentional relational discipleship, and you're talking about small group size, right? So you're plugging into environments, and you're talking about a long length of time. So we're not talking about like a short thing. We're talking about eight months, especially the disciple model we use, eight months of process, small groups. Um, One of the things is we hear is, well, it's exclusive. Like mm-hmm. discipleship is exclusive. Like you're excluding people because it's not open to the masses. Well, right. Well, I want to say no. Uh, and then I'm going to have your input on it too. I'm going to say no though, because I'm going to say no, because Jesus 
and even us, we don't neglect, right? We don't neglect others. He died for us all in John three sixteen. it says, but, and, and although he taught everyone, he didn't play to the crowds. I guess that would be the big thing is he didn't play out to the crowds. So he certainly wasn't shifting his message or changing his message based on the fact of wanting more followers. Um, but he also recognized that maybe it wasn't going to be such a large number that would choose to go into that uh deeper pursuit with him. He says the workers are few, but the harvest is great. So that can only allude to the fact that he understands that there would only be so many people that would actually desire to pursue that kind of deeper relationship with him or do the work (laughs) of that. So that's my statement. The reality is anyone that's willing to fully submit to Christ will be a disciple and will be discipled. And I, that's even like, I would certainly say that that is true in my own beliefs in what I see in other people and even in my selection process. Uh, but I've also seen that um, a lot of people that sometimes say, well, it's exclusive uh, are not actually, uh, they don't actually want to fully submit to, to follow because it, it sort of ends right there. Yeah, I think um, the our need i'd say it's a cultural thing but it, apparently it seems like it's a maybe it's a human thing too our need for um when something's going on to be included or to uh to have results right away or to be able to be part of something right away um that is so that can be so superficial that when we're dealing with something like discipleship or intentional relational discipleship modeled after what jesus is doing um, in the gospels, uh, you don't maybe realize what you're getting into. Right. So, Hmm. so, so let's, uh, for example, if if I'm at church and say, Hey, we're going to do a Bible study and let's see how many people want to come. Everybody, you know, a lot of people want to come and and do a Bible study and be part of it. Um, and we might just be doing a Bible study. That's just trying to teach through what, what, what's this book of the Bible saying? You know, that's, that's different than, um, what Jesus was doing. And I think, the church actually is in a unique position where it can do, imagine this, it can do exactly what Jesus (laughs) was doing, right? It can have things for the crowds. And then when you are hearing Jesus's message and when you are being drawn by him in those things, then there can be something for you to um, grow closer to him and go in a deeper, deeper walk with him, develop as a disciple in a deep, intimate way that you don't get maybe from other programs within the church or ministries within the church. But, um, but we kind of have this feeling that everything has to be, um, everything has to be for everybody at all the time, all the time. Um, and like you said, this is, but it's just slower. And so the slow part I think is what bothers us. Cause I just want to be part of it now, you know, or I just want the results now or I the just results. Want, uh, yeah. I just want, uh, I just want it now. So, um, yeah, it's it's not exclusive. It's 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 very inclusive, but it's such a it's such a more powerful way. So when by the time we've got two groups going on at our church right now, within our church community right now, and um, by the time we're done, there's a potential of ten more groups that could start eight after this first eight months. You know, and how many people would that would be able to go into that right? And then, you know, it's just an exponential growth. So it's not exclusive. It's inclusive. It just is slow. Well, it's slow, it's but slow, right. Slow is hard. It's slow. <laughs> but, you know, as you're sharing right there, I'm just thinking it may be slow, right? 
But when you plug it into an environment like the one you're in, it goes from, you guys literally have two pastors. It goes from the responsibility of two pastors for all spiritual formation for the whole congregation to within eight months, you're going to have 10 people that are going to be able to begin to walk people through a process of spiritual formation and discipleship that you currently don't have at all. And, and I, I wonder how long do churches go or even communities go or any of us go with this total worker depletion, but there's no development of workers. And then when the reality is, is we actually develop workers, sure, it's going to take long because it requires a lot of transformation and change within them. And that takes time um, as we walk with Jesus. But you flash forward a couple years down the road at a church, even your size, literally everyone would have the opportunity to be intentionally relationally discipled in a very deep, meaningful way. And then what could that do, right? What kind of transformation could take place in your community because of that happening? So that's sort of the thing is that, yeah, you're right. It, it can seem exclusive because we don't, it's not rolled out. It can't be. And even I, you know, I mean, I've had to experience this myself three years in and saying, well, it could have been a lot faster if I just rolled this out to thousands of people. But then I'm realizing, no, but the effectiveness over time is going to be that you're actually developing other leaders. You're not just, you're not taking all that responsibility on yourself. And Jesus spread that responsibility out with the 12. Like, right. you know, he he selected 12. It wasn't, he even himself showed, look at, it's even not even my responsibility. He had those disciples while they were with him doing things like, breaking the bread and handing it out to the crowds. He had them like being a part of the kingdom and the kingdom work before he left them even. Uh, and they were, they were out there beginning to disciple others. So I think that that's the key is that um, it does take time, but uh, it's, it's critical if we want to have spiritually mature people. And if we want, if, if, if God is telling us that the workers are few, but the harvest is ripe, then we need more workers. And I think right. that that is when you develop disciples, you develop workers. Yeah. And quality over quantity is going to make bringing a better, bring in the harvest in a way that's better than if you just have people out there trying to grab all the, all the harvest and try to grab it up. If you have trained workers who can handle that. I mean, it seems like that's what Jesus was thinking. Right, right. Strategy. Right. And again, this doesn't diminish at all the importance of uh, worship and community and and church and for all those purposes. But that sometimes should just be the starting point for people to be developing a much deeper relationship with Christ and actually becoming involved in the work instead of just being consumers of, you know, consumers of our faith. Um, Yeah. So, right. right. And I think that Jesus, when he split the crowds, that's what it was about. Mm-hmm. He told them, he shared with them something that they did not want to consume. And right. that, that was pretty much like, well, I don't want that. And they walked away. But the reality is the ones that stayed with him were the ones that even though they made a lot of mistakes and they had some issues, they were the ones that were faithful. And they were the ones that were here today as followers of Christ because of the work that they did. So, uh, and because of the messages, the message of the gospel that they share. So let's not forget that. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah. So what's sort of the conclusion now that we have from uh, what we've, what we've been talking about? Yeah. So as far as uh, 
chapter one of of, uh, of Robert Coleman's book on selection when we're thinking about developing a group, selecting a group of disciples. Um, I think the conclusion is, or the basic foundational idea, is that Jesus' strategy for kingdom building was slow and small. Um, he deliberately chose a few, those who were willing to learn, uh, and he gave them his full attention for almost three years. And by the time Jesus returned to heaven, his small group was ready to then, like I said before, exponentially expand. Like you had 12 leaders who were ready to go mm. start their own groups and then how many beyond that. And, and I mean, just read past the Gospels. You'll see how it worked. Yeah, it was pretty massive pretty <laughs> quickly. It was pretty awesome. Right. But, you know, as you share that, I'm like, well, okay. So how many years passed? Christ are we now, right? How many thousands right. of years? And that all seems pretty straightforward. Uh, it seems like a pretty good method and doesn't seem overly complicated. Uh, um, so why are we talking about this? Why does it seem to be still such a struggle? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> that, that I told Zach earlier, I said, I'm like, I, I don't know how I always want to talk about this stuff, but I just have to be honest, right? Uh, the truth is, Jesus's philosophy of starting with a few, spending focused time with them and giving them almost his full attention is not how we tend to do things today. So this is a personal observation I'm making. So I believe me, forgive me if this does not have anything to do with you. And I would be so grateful if that's true. And I'm also not by any means ascribing this to every community of faith or church. But I have to say, that a very popular method to evangelize or to share today the word of God begins with the multitudes under the assumption that the church is fully qualified to preserve what God has done. And that's actually directly, that statement right there is directly from Coleman, but I'm, I'm saying that I'm seeing it to be true. Uh, I don't know how many times I've heard, and again, not saying that this is necessarily wrong, but if it is the end all be all, it's a problem. The statement of, well, bring someone to church so they can meet God as if God is only in that building and then that's the only place that they can ever meet him or serve him or be with him. So not saying that that is even the intention, but sometimes I feel like that's the responsibility of believers is to bring someone to the building instead of actually discipling. Um, the modern church has a tendency to focus on seekers and converts. Again, not a problem. We should be always <laughs> looking to share the gospel in a way that's going to bring people to Christ. Uh, but we should be weary of doing that at the expense of developing mature disciples who can make disciples. And I think that that's where sometimes the rub comes in. And the reason for this is that success or how we measure success, especially here is very much based on a business model or a, uh, quantifiable instead of qualifiable or quant quantitative instead of uh, qualitative. And so what that means is that the more numbers, right, uh, means maybe possibly more money, uh, means more fame. Um, and that can lead to a desire to attract. So to get quick results, um, and we have a tendency then to not want to lose those individuals. So we may make things a little bit more comfortable for them. Uh, and again, not that we shouldn't, <laughs> that church shouldn't be something that people should be terrified of going to, 
but they should be going there for the truth and not just for comfort. So I think that that's also uh, something that we tend to go away from um, because again, we've been taught that a very comfort based culture. And I know a lot of pastors, right. That if they go out and they would teach something that um, could hurt attendance numbers or money, that may mean that they get fired. So there can be a little bit of not that pastors are humans too. Right. So let's just remember that, right. They, that they have families and that they have, uh, right. Zach. I mean, they have, they have needs, they have they are humans, they are humans, they have feelings and they have emotions. Zach is not a robot. Right. So they do have those things and that can be impacted if the focus of a church is totally towards this other model and they're not fitting that. So, um, so then I, I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, a small church, say, right, even a small, but even a big church, the staff is never big enough uh, if it has to spend so much time focusing on attracting people that it can be have time to focus on uh, what does it mean to make mature disciples. And so I think it's, again, the balance is all off on that. Um, but if we look at the way Jesus modeled it and the way he commanded it, I, Jesus is the model for the church. That's just the facts. And if we look at scripture and the way that he models it, he models it in this way that Zach was just sharing as sort of our impact statement. So are we doing that? Um, are we fulfilling the great commission? Are we making disciples who look like Jesus are bold for Jesus and are obedient to Jesus? who are then going and making disciples all nations, teaching them to obey Jesus and not stay conformed to the world. Are we doing that? And if we're not, we may need to look and see how are we doing it? And then put those things up to question if it's not matching up to the way that Jesus described it. So, I mean, what do you, there was my, there was my two cents, Zach. What do you think from your own experience as you've seen, as you, you know, as you've talked to other pastors, as you, as you are a pastor yourself? Um, I, I didn't want, to, I'm not, I'm not throwing you under the bus. I'm just asking your own experience about being able to fulfill this great, being able to do that, what Jesus did. Right. Yeah. I think when you said, um, that the church often, at least to here in America, um, can often look like a, take a business model. Um, it's so easy to do even like even at my church where there's an, there's a desire not to do that. <laughs> like, it's like, I've heard several times, like, we don't want to be a business. We don't want to be a business, but it's so easy to do. This is fine line. We have to walk. And I think this is where we need the power of the spirit and we need Jesus's guiding and we need mm. to be humble learners who are constantly looking to the way of salvation and the way of Jesus. Um, when we are trying to build something, um, like Jesus said to do, right? We talked about it last week, the Great Commission, build something that is build a place, a space for disciples to come and uh, and to be in community and to be connected to Jesus. Um, it's just such a fine line that um, uh, it's so easy to just move into the other because it's such good intentions, right? Like getting more people in at its foundation is a, is a good intention, like you said, because we want more people to hear about Jesus. But then if you look at what Jesus did, he says that, or he shows that, you know what, that's a good intention, but that's not actually helpful. In fact, that's not even the best way to do mm. it. And, and uh, the more people who hear 
that's that's good like go take the gospel to everybody but um but jesus wants more than people to hear it he wants people to ingrain it and then he wants people to live it and then he wants people to replicate it and people to go and serve others so that they can um, have that same experience but then so often it just it stops before it gets to like the replication or maybe even it stops before it gets to like the deeply ingrained part either and we just get so comfortable hearing about how good Jesus is and how we need him and everything at church that it's just like, well, I, I'm here. I've made it. I've, I've arrived. I've, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Right. I'm, I'm at church. I'm a Christian. I'm all this stuff. Um, so yeah, just, I don't know. It just becomes, it just becomes that that's just what we are. We're just kind of doing this one thing. Uh, and we forget about this other part where we're supposed to be drawing people in a little bit more so that they can go out. Um, and not not every church, obviously, and some do it better than others. And of course, like there's there's always I'm I'm, I'm being general. I'm not trying yeah, to, I get it. Trying to you know say everybody does this, but um, but I can see that just from working at a church now, how easy, how thin that line really is. Like it's so easy to just fall over to that side, even without thinking. And perhaps that's also just the natural human tendency to, um. To then make myself make make church about me more than it is to be about Jesus. Well, I think the other thing is is like my heart and your heart, right? Is my heart is actually to make the work of the churches easier, not harder, right. and right. and for the people within the community easier, not harder, because you're spreading out the work instead of just having it just a couple few people that are doing 90% of all of the required things to manage a church and to do a church, having many more people uh, being equipped to do that and working within their gifts. And I think that's the biggest, biggest concern I always see is that you may think you're taking a shortcut by appeasing those things or working in that, or that may seem to be the easier thing to do initially because you're maybe looking at the wrong metrics on what is success. But at the end of the day, all I ever see at the end of that is pastor burnout, is is people that were highly effective and, and God had called into ministry in that way, walking away from it because they have become disenchanted and disgruntled because it's been so much just like I felt like I was doing, 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 and I never had the opportunity to be with God. And then thinking about what does discipleship do? Jesus was showing us a, a method of sustainability. Like, no, if you disciple people, and I, and I shared this with you right up when we started this process, right? I was like, yeah, it's going to be some work and it's going to be some discipline and it's going to require those things early on because you're going to have to because you're probably going to have to learn all that stuff just as being a disciple. That's what is required. But at the end of the day, you're going to be equipping so many other people to do the work that you're personally responsible for right now. If I'm being honest, that that as a pastor, they would be personally responsible for You're going to have other people to be taking on those responsibilities. And that's going to leave you to focus in and be able to use the true giftedness that God has been able to give you. And that's my desire for pastors is that exact feeling is let's stop looking for the short-term quick solution that ends up leading to burnout, frustration, irritation, um, shallow Christianity for individuals. And let's go to this more intense initially, 
but leads to more mature disciples that leads to uh, a more healthy spirituality for you as a pastor or a leader uh, that is developing other leaders to take on a lot of those burdens that you currently have to carry. That's what discipleship is. a. Yeah. That's, that's the fruit of discipleship is that it, it leads to those things and it actually alleviates the burden as we all get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And it's not just a few selected people that have to take care of all those responsibilities. I mean, does that sound like freedom to you, Zach? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yes. Right. Many hands, many feet. Yes. That sounds wonderful. So what can we do now? So like now that we sort of have talked about it, we've talked sort of about uh, what Campbell talked about. We've talked sort of about the issues maybe we face today, but you know, as I'm just sitting here and if I was just sitting here, what are some of the things that I could do right now to begin to, help alleviate the burden and become a worker in the field. That's like helping out, uh, be a part of the great commission. Yeah. So, um, number one, um, what he points out is, uh, what is to begin where you are, uh, seems very basic, just like, just like discipleships for humans seems pretty basic, but, uh, but something we kind of miss, right. Or we, uh, we don't think about, um, look around where you are, your immediate context, your circle of influence, mm-hmm. those that you maybe have some authority over or some people that have authority over you. Who do you interact with? What are your relationships like? Um, and pray that the Spirit would bring in those spheres, in those circles, Bring pray that the Spirit would bring um, those that are humble, those that are trainable, um, those who are already leaders in affecting people, and those who can become future leaders mm-hmm. Um, maybe no one else would ever expect that from them, but that's how Jesus operated, right? Nobody thought that uh, that Andrew or James or John or Peter were going to become world changers or go up against the uh, the religious leaders of the day, right? But eventually, through Jesus's discipleship, they're able to spread the gospel in ways they had no idea they would ever do. I'm sure, you know, with boldness that they never would have never would have. Um, considered i think so and are we, so that's the first yeah thing. are we relying though on our own like just our own power in that are we relying on our own power in that or is, is there something else that we need to look at no, no well no we can't uh that that's maybe that's that fine line too right our own power versus the spirit ah. so the spirit's power so um i like to think about it as glasses holy spirit glasses um discern people's hearts through the spirits the spirit lens or the spirit glasses um what is so if you're not if you're not receiving from the spirit if you're not hearing from him you're not going to be able to look how he looks uh so it requires us to also be humble and learning yeah i think to uh, to find the humble and the learners and i think really right you, you talk about those holy spirit glasses i mean i think really such a pivotal part of the selection process is and we haven't really talked about it that much today but and i'm not just throwing it as a castaway here but it really is prayer Really pray about who who those people we'll are, right? Yeah, definitely. Yep. Uh, second thing um, is to recognize your limitations, your own limitations. Um, so this this is the spirit, my power versus the spirit's power. Um, let the spirit draw these disciples, mm-hmm. um, and be humble enough to realize that you're not able to give all of everything to everyone at every moment. So that's kind of 
that 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 ties back into the the small group the the fact that yeah jesus loved the crowds and he gave to them but he gave something special and different to a few um, because even Jesus, who was fully man, right, he couldn't give everything to everyone and not burn out. Did my did <laughs> my uh, did my wife give you write that note uh, specifically? Because it sounds like it's very she specifically talking to me. Though. And I don't know. Maybe your wife wrote that to you. Well, you probably wrote that to your wife, right? Like, yeah, she, <laughs> yes, I wrote that to her. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, if you guys quickly <laughs> share this quick aside, uh, we have found out as in our relationship with each other that Zach is much closer, like much more like my wife and mm-hmm. I'm much more like his wife. So we're, mm-hmm. we're sort of like a uh, very, well, I'm not even going to say it. So that's, that's part of our dynamic is, is that like, so just, just so, just so you know, I didn't, I didn't want to, I don't want to cause a stumbling block for people to say that we're like a untraditional couple here on the podcast, but uh, the reality is in our time together, we quickly realized that who's who's the one that's like the extrovert out there and then who's the introvert. And so uh, if you ha- if you don't know yet, I'm an extrovert. <laughs> Zach's the introvert. If you're, if you're not aware, if you're not aware of that yet, if you haven't figured it out. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I've already done way too much. Talking no, about so- sorry for interrupting because <laughs> you really were doing a great thing. I mean, you're talking about the Holy Spirit and I bring in all this junk. So like, let's continue on. So what else, what else in this recognizing of your limitations that we have to know? Yeah. Um, so as the spirit draws, um, celebrate the influence you do have. Like, like take that as encouragement and victory that you are involved with people and that they are interested in being discipled. Um, and again, don't try to overextend yourself. Um, when we get excited, I, when the spirit moves, you know, then we feel like we can, we can do anything or we want to try to do anything. And I think there's a real discipline in being able to say, okay, the spirit's moving, but let me not um, overextend myself. Let me not get too far ahead of things. Um, let me be um, calm, collected at, uh, at P- even keeled. That's it. Even keeled. Yeah, that's keeled. Good. Yeah, that's good. Um, let me be even keeled and let the spirit continue to work. Um, and then like we've already said before, <laughs> uh, when, we, when you begin where you are and we're going to, I think we're going to talk about this more, um, in coming chapters, but fortify yourself with prayer. Coleman mentions that, um, so, so important to be connected continually to the spirit, um, which helps keep us in a humble posture and learning Jesus's way, because the minute we think we understand Jesus's way, perhaps we've missed something and we turn it into, I turn it into Zach's way and Mm. uh, and Zach's way won't last, won't last the same way that Jesus way does. So that's the second thing, recognize your limitations and celebrate the influence you you do have. Uh, And then finally, I'd say continually evaluate your motives. Um, I think this is so important. And um, I wonder if the bigger a ministry gets or the bigger a a leader gets or the more, um, the more followers they have, if, um, maybe just by default, this happens, maybe not on purpose for some people, maybe, but, but maybe just by default, even the people with the best intentions just realize that they, they have so much influence. They must be doing something so right. And then we forget to consider what do I need to change? What do I need to rethink? How can I be following mm-hmm. Jesus or looking like Jesus, um, better? Um, it's interesting to note, he notes in the book, and I think this is fascinating, that Jesus's 
the harvest of his ministry or like the most like the most followers he ever had or, or anything never happened while he was there. Like, like the biggest impact didn't even happen while Jesus was on earth. It came, it's still happening. Like it's coming now. Like it's 2000 years after his work on the cross. Right. And still his, um, his following is growing even now. And like after he was gone and Peter preached in acts and 3000 added that day, Jesus didn't see 3000 added in his day. Not that, Maybe there were, you know, there were thousands of people following, but there was something different about those 3,000. Wow, so, that is an encouragement. That is an encouragement yeah. for that. I got to tell you, right? That's an encouragement for me to be, for for you and I to be pursuing this, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? That, like, yes. By the way, by the way, you're not going to see any of it. So <laughs> that, by the way, yeah. just just really persevere. Just continue on, right? <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you that that, that, does not, that does not meet the standard of... Yeah cultural success like not right there that what you just stated about coleman talked about jesus in regards to that that does not meet any standard so again maybe that's maybe that's part of the struggle um is yeah. because of as you said that uh it's not instant and um that it is very likely you may not see the fruit of it even in your own like the fruit of what it could truly be even in your own life um but again this is the model that jesus showed us right and he was satisfied, well, seems like he was satisfied with the 12 and the three. And, you know, there was others around, but, um, but the 12 and the three, like he, he, he accomplished his mission, right? I mean, obviously the cross and the, and the re and resurrection and the redemption of sinners, that's, that's, that's his mission, but he was never, you never read where he is unsatisfied with the work of discipleship that he did because he deliberately was choosing those 12 mm. and those three and those few and that and that um that slow development um that was going to lead to something greater because he could see that in the future there was going to be a greater and greater harvest wow and so you know the wisdom yeah and i'm thinking about as you just shared that too and i think maybe this is sort of the encouraging statement i do want to make in regards to this about motives or even um there's a great book, uh, and if you haven't read it, I, I would suggest uh, for everyone to read it. It's uh, Brother Lawrence's Practicing the Presence of God, right? And he's just showing like how in the everyday we can practice the presence of God. And I just wanted to add even a caveat to that of practicing the presence of others. So, you know, sort of being part of this great commandment of loving God and loving others is like, how can we practice the presence of others? And the fact is like, yeah, concentrate. Focus on those six, those five, those four individuals that you're walking in that kind of relationship with and focus on teaching them the way that Jesus has taught you and the way that you've been taught and you walk into that thing. And then you allow God to do the multiplication and you allow him to do the fruitful work of those kind of things. And you don't have to get overwhelmed with looking out so far in advance about, is this what it's going to be? You know? Uh, I'm thinking about as you're leading those disciple groups that you're in your community, it's about those people at that time and at that, at, at this time and in that place right now, like it's not about getting so caught up about what's even the next generation going to look like or how many successive generations we're going to have. Yeah. You should evaluate if you're not, if it's not bearing fruit because uh, God's probably trying to teach us to prune stuff, but it's really about, those guys in that room, right, in the moment, 
as you guys are trusting the Holy Spirit to do transformation and as you're walking together on this journey. And Jesus was such the model for that, was such the model. The the smartest person that ever lived, the uh, obviously, right? That right. God in man, God in man, picked 12 people. What, could he not have taught more? Like, could he not have Probably. been intimate with more than that in that time? No, but he chose that because he chose something that even for us to see as a model, this is how, this is how we should do faith. This is how we should do discipleship. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. I have no idea. So I'm going to ask you, what is the, what are we, I, cause I don't have my book in front of me. What's the next, what's are you yeah. there? <laughs> Guys, it wasn't coffee on his mic. He just knocked his mic over. <laughs> so, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. The next uh, association. Okay. Okay. So, guys, next time we're going to be talking about association uh, from Master Plan of Evangelism, Evangelism uh, Robert Coleman. But I hope that you guys have uh, gleaned something from this process of selection. And just as you are thinking about who to make, who to who to who to ask to be part of a disciple uh, ministry with you, group with you, uh, this is a really good way to think about it. Is how did Jesus do it? And I think Coleman did a great job, uh, and we took a lot of his stuff. Uh, we sort of added our own uh, inconsequential, inconsequential. However, you say that word. <laughs> Consequential. It, it's so inconsequential. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. even matter how to even say it. So, uh, but we've really loved uh, spending uh, time talking about this today and just talking about selection. So we look forward to uh, being with you guys uh, next time. Bye. Bye.